This is Recorded Future, Inside Threat Intelligence for Cybersecurity. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 120 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. Our guest today is Larcy Robertson. She's a senior manager in cyber threat intelligence at Epsilon, a marketing and advertising firm in Irving, Texas. Larcy Robertson got started in threat intelligence right after college when she joined the U.S. Navy, back before the term threat intelligence had even been coined. She eventually left the service and worked with a number of defense contractors before moving to the private sector as a senior threat analyst at PepsiCo, and ultimately her current position with Epsilon. She shares her career journey, her strategies for protecting her organization and managing resources, and her insights from nearly two decades in the threat intelligence business. Stay with us. Computers weren't very prevalent in my household. I didn't have one until I went to college. Um, in high school, in grade school, if we're going back that far, I learned to, uh, I had a typing class, I think, in like the second grade on electric typewriters. Mm. Uh, I did enjoy that. So <laughs> um, you were not someone who was intimidated by uh, any electronic stuff. You, you were, would dig right in there and, and, uh, and get going with that sort of thing. Yes. Uh, given the opportunity in high school, I did take the computer class. There was only one, and I was excited about it. A lot of people um, didn't seem to um, have an interest in it, but I thought it was a fun class. And then, of course, um, in college, uh, having computers every day was a treat. On top of, I was the one that was in the library. Um, I actually worked in the library. But on my free time, I would hop on a computer and uh, play checkers with my friends. And what was your major in college? Actually, my first two years, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I kind of flip-flopped around from marketing to politics. Um, and then eventually I even did a parks and recreation type um, role, what they call recreational leadership, um, before I decided that I needed to stop and figure it out. And I decided to join the Navy instead so I could make a good sound decision on what I wanted to be when I grew up. Yeah, now that that's an interesting move there as well. Can you walk us through what, what guided your decision to join the Navy? I was um, kind of un, obviously un unsure about what I wanted to do with my degree and which degree to get. Um, I played soccer. Um, I played soccer two years in college and had a lot of fun, um, but I really felt lost when it came to pursuing my career. Um, the Navy was, the Navy recruiter's office was on campus. Um, I had met with them and I knew someone else that was um, joining the Navy. And I went and spoke with them and they obviously um, were interested in me and wanted me to um, take some tests, see if they could fit me into um, a program that they were in desperate need for, which was a nuclear program. I did mm. take the test. It was tough. I passed, but that seemed daunting to me. I said, what else do you got? <laughs> <laughs> and I had a few more options, and uh, I ended up uh, in a signals intelligence role, which um, this is a funny story I can tell, I guess, but um, and my Twitter handle is Larcy007. And it ah. comes from when I was getting talked into picking a role. Um, the guy that was my recruiter had no idea what a cryptologic technician collector did. He just knew that they did some super secret stuff 
and kind of sold it to me as a spy and James Bondish. So it kind of intrigued me. Of course, I knew he didn't have any idea. Um, I asked around <laughs> some other veterans. They're like, oh, yeah, they do some secret stuff. I wouldn't call it James Bond, but <laughs> I definitely say that's a good route to go. And uh, that's how I ended up in the, the cryptologic role. And um, that's where the Larcy 007 comes from. Yeah. So, I mean, you get into the Navy and d did your experience uh, align with your expectations? Yes and no. It was definitely, I guess, not as hard as I thought it would be, but also hard. So hmm. a different type of hard, I guess, um, initially, you know, you go through boot camp and um, yes, it's difficult. Um, I struggled with um, staying up so much because, well, you know, I was 20 years old and used to partying and and sleeping, sleeping in, and I couldn't do that, obviously. <laughs> so right. that was my struggle. I was in great shape, so the physical part was easy. Um, I'd been in college for two years, so I was still um, okay with the class setting and absorbing all of the Navy information, naval, learning all the Naval history and all of that, and then going to school and getting into the classes there, um, learning signals, intelligence. I found that very fun and challenging, and I, I fell in love with it. It it's, uh, definitely was something that I had no idea was even an option before joining the Navy. Now, did you actually spend any time out at sea? I did. I was aboard two um, ships out of Norfolk, Virginia, the USS Theodore Roosevelt. It's a aircraft carrier and also an LHD, um, the USS Wasp, and I spent about half my career attached to a ship, and we did a few deployments, and I learned a lot. I got to travel the world, and I am a greater person for it. I'm very hmm. proud of um, my Navy career. Now, one of the things that you experienced uh, in the Navy is you are what's referred to as a plank owner, part of the Navy Cyber Defense Operations Command. What is all that about? Describe to us what what uh, what goes on with that. So a plank owner, when you um, are the first um, sailor to be aboard or take at that unit, in this case, it was a shore command, but typically you're a plank owner of a, of a ship and you get to hold that honor. And it's, it's highly regarded. The Navy um, kind of, they do kind of a pomp and circumstance with it. You get a, you get a giant poster with your name on it and a story and the captain um, signs it and you get to say, you know, you're the plank owner. So the Navy Cyber Defense Operations Command is its new name. It used to be NavCert before they changed the name. And I was actually at NavCert as well. I just didn't get there on day one. But I was on I was I was there on day one of the NC doc. And uh, that was my first uh, role as a cyber threat intelligence analyst um, as a signals intelligence analyst that um, we call today the CTI in corporate world. I didn't know at the time that that's um, what that was going to turn into, but I sure am glad that I was able to do it. Now, at that time, was that sort of work at the leading edge? Where, within the military, did you have a sense that you were ahead of where, for example, the private sector was? Yes. Uh, I had no idea that um, corporate America was doing um, this role and it was even brand new for the Navy. We were actually were the first military branch to stand up um, an operations center for cyber. And uh, it was at Little Creek 
And we, um, from what I hear now, they've moved it because it's so large and it's uh, closer to a joint command now. And uh, they're moving leaps and bounds compared to what we were, you know, in 2005. Today, I'm sure that they are um, armed with lots of uh, tools and defenses that we didn't have back then. Um, but it was definitely challenging and I learned a lot in my time at the Cyber Command. And um, I fell in love with it there. And I'm very glad that I decided to seek it out when I was able to, after my husband re retired from the army and we moved back from Korea to Texas. And, and so how long were you in the service and then what prompted your decision to retire? I was in for 10 years, and my husband was also in the Navy as well, and he actually worked at the Cyber Command as well. That's not his, um, that's not his thing. He's more mm. of a tactical kind of guy, and he wanted to do some more manly get-out-of-your-seat kind of thing, and he wasn't <laughs> able to do that in the Navy. So he uh, applied for the Army Officer Training Command, and he went to OCS and became an officer, a field artillery officer, um, shooting the big guns. Mm. And he enjoyed it a lot. We attempted to um, have a dual Army-Navy um, family for a year, and it was just too difficult to get an assignment together. And so I had to request an early separation from the Navy, and I just uh, went back to college and jumped right into corporate America. Not to mention the annual Army-Navy game. I mean, how do you deal with that? <laughs> That's a tough one. That's a really <laughs> tough one <laughs> because it hurt so badly when the Army finally won. And I was um, on an Army post and surrounded by Army. Uh, I definitely hid in, my, in, our, in our apartment oh that day. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. So you leave the Navy, and, and I suspect that you had plenty of opportunities with your experience to work in the private sector. I jumped right into um, the DOD contracting world. So I still had um, a lot of skills that were um, needed. And with the Army, I was able to still be around a lot of military um, positions and um, things that civilians fill as far as training and um, doing some system administrative roles. So, yeah, I had a, I'm really glad that I had that background because it is really hard for spouses of military members to find uh, roles in every location that they go to. And I have definitely a well-rounded resume in order to seek and find the roles in every place I've been. So um, I feel very, very lucky for my Navy career and what it set me up for for my future. Now, after the time you spent with some of those defense contractors, you've worked with some companies, uh, certainly some names we would recognize. Yes, uh, I I can even the one you're going to recognize the defense contractors as well. Um, ah. <laughs> General Dynamics. Heard of information. them? Yep. Um, yep. Uh, Booz Allen Hamilton. Yep. 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 <laughs> and Raytheon. Yeah, all, and, all the biggies. Right, and all very good companies to work for. I feel uh, very lucky that I was able to. They gave me um, some new skills at each one, so I'm pretty proud of those as well. And then I got to. Uh, try out the real corporate America, I guess we call it, outside of the military or government at PepsiCo, and I'm sure you've heard of that. I, I am familiar <laughs> with uh, PepsiCo and some of their delicious products, for sure. Um, what is that transition like, though, for you? Is it a different day-to-day? Uh, is, -day? is it a different level of, 
of discipline. What was that um, culture shift like for you? Um, that culture shift was really fun for me because hmm. I went from, you know, being holed up in a building with no windows to a big, bright building with a giant Pepsi can in the middle with windows <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> so right. I can Fully literally... stocked vending machines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I can definitely say it is like night and day. <laughs> <laughs> so I really enjoy the culture. It's a fun place to work. Not that those others weren't fun. They are. But you kind of get a different uh, feeling when you walk in. Um, the mission, obviously, is a little different. Um, we're uh, protecting our customers as well as our associates within the company, whereas uh, with the others, we were helped. The mission was to help protect um, our country. So it's a little, it's a little mind shift for me. I really had to um, look for that. You know, why, why am I doing this? And and I need that. Uh, I guess drive on what it is that I'm doing. I'm, I have a very uh, dedicated self-service to, com, you know, committing to um, a mission. And mm. I found, I did find that with PepsiCo um, in, you know, there are 300,000 employees roughly around the world that are touching our network. And uh, I definitely want to try to keep their jobs intact. Yeah. I mean, that, that really strikes me that, uh, with a company that size, a global organization of that size, you really are dealing with um, a very large scale. Right. Um, it is very large. And it was somewhat daunting at first. But then when I thought about it before, I was like, wait a second. I was dealing with large companies like this, mm-hmm. <clears throat> the U.S. Navy. <laughs> so right, I think right. we can handle it. <laughs> uh, so it's a definitely a... It was a it was a switch though to wrap my head around um, the global um, footprint of of PepsiCo. And today you are working at Epsilon. Can you give us uh, some sense for what that company does and, and your role there? Well, Epsilon is a marketing company. We are um, very strong in the digital marketing and uh, um, lots of clients across the globe as well that um, reach out for our services. And we have a ton of really, really smart, um, creative marketing team and developers that um, they can come to uh, to meet their marketing needs. Uh, so we're definitely known for our um, ma- email campaigns and different platforms for loyalty uh, programs. So um, we have a, a pretty large footprint as well when it comes to the digital marketing um, it's a, it's a great company too, just a little different as far as like looking at the size of associates versus the size of customers and clients. Um, it's still very, very large and um, I'm very proud to work with for Epsilon and I'm having a lot of fun. Yeah, it's interesting because I suppose in addition to protecting Epsilon itself, you also have a, a responsibility for all of the, the brands that Epsilon works with. Right. Absolutely. And um, we all know that um, marketing is uh, dealing with a mass amount of data in order to fit the marketing to what people want. Um, We have a slogan, um, humans over hype. So we're trying to reach um, our customers by um, not just throwing out what has no meaning to them. Um, So that's where that that humans over hype is coming in. I'm seeing it a lot more in a different other marketing campaigns of um, having the humans over hi- um, over the technology. I guess I saw another uh, marketing. These marketers are super smart. 
um, bots don't buy. Uh, so hmm. they're trying to hit that, uh, hit that there are people behind this and we want to put our, you know, our touch on it to make sure that, that the customers are getting what, what it is that they want um, in front of them. Now, let's talk threat intelligence. Um, obviously, one of your specialties. Um, what is your take on threat intelligence? What, what part does it play in an organization's uh, defensive posture? It is helpful to get in front of the threats. So if I can warm my um, um, leadership of things coming and we can make moves to um, prepare for um, new vulnerabilities or threats against our company, I um, can make uh, suggestions on what we can do next to make sure that we're not the target of that next campaign and that we are set up to defend ourselves from it. What advice do you have for folks who might be looking to get into the cybersecurity world? I'm thinking of you know, either someone who's coming up through college or maybe even someone looking to make a career change. Oh, I'm, I'm working on this now, trying to give some advice to a few um, people in my community that are looking at different roles and um, just know that there are lots of roles that don't need to be super technical. Um, But definitely if you want to start taking some security classes and get yourself familiar with computers and networking and um, even system administration of how those people do their jobs and um, reading. And when it comes to cyber threat intelligence, I would say, brush up on your critical analytical thinking skills and uh, you got to be quick on your feet. And when you're reading articles and uh, learning about new vulnerabilities and uh, definitely have to think outside the box when you're looking at situations and problems to solve. It also sounds like you would uh, be supportive of people exploring opportunities that might be there in the military. Oh, absolutely. Uh, they will definitely set you up with the top of the line training to get you into this field. And I, I'm very grateful for the training that I got. Obviously, being that it was new in the Navy, most of my training um, when I was learning cyber was on the job training. So I would, you know, sit next to someone and they would teach me and I would just go from there and try to figure it out. But um, I know for a fact now that I've met a few people that have gotten lots of training that is setting them up for success and uh, I would definitely recommend it. Obviously they uh, they have a great uh, training program past the military so if you do your time and decide that it's not for you, um, you've got you know three years of um, GI Bill to put towards your next career so I highly recommend it. Now something I know that you are active in uh, there in Texas is a group called Women in Security and Technology What can you share with us about them? Yes, I love this group. Um, It was started by a lovely lady named Tanya Janka, um, Mm. who works for Microsoft. And she uh, uh, said she was inspired when she went to Israel for um, an event and was able to go to a meetup there with um, ladies that were working in information security and technology. And they had a meetup where they were encouraging each other and teaching skills and really just uh, being able to um, network and, uh, you know, whine about how it is about women and how we can um, empower each other to get past those things. Um, We use a different word, but probably not podcast uh, 
appropriate. <laughs> so, oh, believe I, me, we, we've had Tanya on the show and she does not hold back when it comes to language. Oh, so. <laughs> all right. So, uh, she likes to call it our um, brunch and, you know, the other word, maybe. Uh-huh. But um, it starts Something with session? Yeah. yeah oh, okay. Starts with a Got, B. It. Got it. So, all right. Very it's good. a lot of fun. So, uh, she came back and decided she wanted to uh, have this group here and throughout the globe and we have chapters all over and i started the first one here in texas in dallas and we also have one in uh, houston and san antonio and uh, i'm just not seeing as many women as i'd like to see so we've decided to have this group and encourage each other we set up times to say hey um, i want to go to the OWASP meetup are you are you interested in going within one of the other ladies in our group and we can meet up and go Sometimes we put it out for everybody. Hey, everybody wants to go check out this meetup. Um, let's do it at this time. And that way we're, we'll know someone in the crowd. And it makes it a lot more fun. We actually did that last month um, with the Dallas Hackers uh, meetup. And it was a blast. And we learned a lot. And it was definitely a different experience going with a group of ladies rather than being singled out by yourself in that large crowd. Hmm. So it's been a... It's been very good so far, and I'm looking forward to where we're going to go from here because I'm having a lot of fun with it. What sort of uh, insights have you gained personally by, by going through the exercise of putting this group together? What sorts of things have you learned? I've learned that um, lots of men are very supportive of our group and want to help us in any way that we um, will allow them. <laughs> uh, we do have to tell them like we really do want to have you um, help help us and support us, but this is kind of for the ladies and uh, we will invite you whenever it's time. Um, but, you know, there are some times when we literally would like to talk about things that maybe you guys don't want to be around for. And yeah. I, don't, I want uh, ladies to have a safe space that they can feel comfortable talking about those things. And um, we can fill that uh, spot and still, you know, include the men when we when we can. What are the things that that motivate you the most? When, when you get up in the morning and, and you're thinking about the day ahead, what are the things that really get you going, that make you look forward to what's to come? What is the next thing? What can I find today? Um, I've, I've obviously, I love to research and I love to um, seek out um, things. And occasionally I, I stumble upon things and it's, it's a great feeling. Um, I'm not a video game player, but you know, if you're playing a video game and you meet that next level, it's pretty uh, gives you a pretty good sense of a high. Um, I find that when I've found something new that I can share with my leadership and my um, my stock analysts, say, hey, check this out. I have a sense of pride in it. Um, it's fun. I it is somewhat like finding a needle in a haystack. I don't mind it. Occasionally, it gets uh, a little boring if you're not finding anything, but it just means you might need to shift your way of doing things and see what else you can come up with. But um, I, I'm i very um, curious person and I like getting up and trying new things and learning new things. Our thanks to Larcy Robertson from Epsilon for joining us. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. 
The Recorded Future podcast team includes coordinating producer Zane Picorni, executive producer Greg Barrett. The show is produced by The Cyberwire with editor John Petrick, executive producer Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.